We're going to continue our series entitled God of the Valleys. We took a break last week because of Easter, obviously. But uh, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 5. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. Today, as we continue this series, we're going to be talking about today the valley full of enemies. How many of you ever felt the attack of the enemy in your life? Let me see your hand. You ever, you ever felt the attack? Maybe you're experiencing a satanic attack in your life right now. And if that's the case, then this, mor- this morning's message is especially for you. There, there's a valley in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that is called the Valley of Rephaim. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17. But before we read, I want to give you just a little bit of context so that you'll understand the passage when we read it. By the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is King David. He is poised at the brink of... Uh, of the crowning successes of, of his career. David has endured the nightmare of being considered an outlaw, being cast out and rejected by the court of Saul, and being alone in the cave of Adullam. He has endured the loneliness, the isolation, and the embarrassment. He has endured a lengthy, protracted, very painful civil war between the household of Saul and the household of David and his faithful men. Saul and Jonathan by now, have, they have died in battle and that set off this civil war to determine who would be the next king. That civil war had ended and the household of Saul is completely decimated. David is the logical candidate to unify the tribe of Judah uh, with the rest of the, of the tribes of Judah. Judah had already, or the rest of the tribes of Israel. Judah had already anointed David as their leader and now the rest of the the leaders of the other tribes come to David and they ask him to restore unity and try to bring some semblance of blessing and order out of the chaos that had resulted through the civil war. Furthermore, the Philistines, having defeated Saul, are are in the ascendancy ascendancy, and Israel is at a point of confusion militarily politically, economically, and spiritually. So the people of Israel turn their eyes to David and anoint him as king over all of Israel. And that's where we begin. 2 Samuel 5, 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. Now they're not searching for him because they want his counsel. They're looking for him because they want to kill him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim, because Baal Perazim just means literally the Lord who can uh, break through a wall or break through an insurmountable, insurmountable barrier. Verse 21. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Some translations say, they not doesn't just say that he carried them off, it says that, that he, they, they burned them. Verse 22, once more the, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to to Gezer. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the next few moments your spirit will 
minister to our spirits and that we'll gain a heart of wisdom. God, I know that there, there are people here today and there are people who are watching on the live stream today who need to know how to face those, those times when the attack of the enemy just seems insurmountable. I know also, Lord, that there, there are those for whom this message today may seem completely out of place. They are not under attack, but they're living under a time of great blessing. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit will take this truth and drop it deep down inside of their spirit so that in their time of need, Lord God, they'll be able to bring it forth full born and, and it will bear fruit in their life. God, I, I believe you for all of these things. And I trust you for all of these things. And I thank you for it. And I pray all of it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. There are those times in every life where it, it seems to us as if the enemy has come in like a flood. There are times when it appears as if our lives, our ministries, our families, our businesses, and our homes are under attack on every front. And I believe in those times there's something innately in us as human beings. There's something inside of us that just almost lusts for an easy answer. The, the, the quick one, two, three. Give me a formula how to deal with this. When you're under attack, here's the formula. One, two, three. Well... I'm here to tell you, it's just not like that. Sermons that, that over, oversimplify what it means to follow God and teach us to trust our formula instead of trusting God, that just leads into more problems. And that's not what this sermon is about. What I'm going to give you this morning are, are what I believe to be biblical insights from this incident in David's life that may be helpful to you at times when you feel the attack of the enemy in your life. Now, I'm not saying that these are the only steps but I'm just saying that these, and I'm even, I'll even say some of these may not be applicable every time, but these are important keys that I believe that if you will guard them in your heart, God will show you how to deal with those times when you're under attack and he'll guide you in your prayers. But the first thing you need to do when, you're, when you sense that you're under attack, the first thing you have to do is discern whether or not you're actually under attack. There are some times when we think we're under spiritual attack, but in reality, all that's happening is that we are suffering the results which we have brought upon ourselves because of our own foolishness. Can anyone relate with that? You know, some guy says, well, I borrowed $100,000 to invest it in a sure thing. I, I, I invested in a diamond mine in South Carolina. And I, I was assured that this company that had been prayerfully, had, had been pro, prayerfully brought into existence by a bunch of spirit-filled Christians, they had a word of knowledge from God that was there going to be diamonds found in South Carolina. So I borrowed $100,000 and I invested it. And I lost all of it. In order to recoup my losses, I borrowed another $100,000 and invested it in a really sure thing an oil well in South Israel because somebody read the Bible and, and, and they said in the South of Israel is going to be the oil pot of David. Therefore, I know there's going to be oil there. And now he's lost $200,000. And he says, my wife is furious with me because we're $200,000 in debt. My children have lost respect for me. My business is going down the tubes and I'm in complete financial disarray. And he says, I must be under satanic attack. No. You are not under satanic attack. You are under stupid attack. <laughs> All right? There's a great deal of difference between satanic attack and simply enduring the results of your own foolish decisions. If you're enduring the results of your own idiotic decisions, listen to this. I want you to know this is really important. If that's where you are, you're not the first. 
You're not the first one and you're not going to be the last one. Humble yourself and admit that you're suffering because of your own stupidity and stop trying to blame it on somebody or somebody, some, something else. Isn't that what we do? That's the culture we, in which we live. That every, it's always somebody else's fault. Well, he made me do it. Nobody can make you do anything. You choose to do it in response to what's going on around you. And if you've done something and you've made a, a foolish decision, own up to it. That's the first step. Humble yourself and admit that you're suffering because of that. You know, it, it's okay every now and then to lay aside all of your pride and to look in the mirror and, 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 when, and when you face one of those moments where you're just really under a complete onslaught of stupid, which there have been many times in my life I have been there, at that moment, look in the mirror and say, hee-haw. <laughs> There's something really cleansing. It's good for your soul to do that. You look right in the bathroom mirror and say, I am a donkey. Hee-haw. It's a wonderful moment. He cleanses the spirit of man. And I, I'm being a little silly, obviously. But what I'm talking about is humbling yourself before God. I'm talking about taking away all of that cloud of false spirituality behind which we hide our own errant decisions. Because we do that all the time. We make a foolish decision and, we, and then we try to pretend like we're all spiritual about it. Let's just lay that stuff aside. And if you've done something stupid, own up to it. Humble yourself. And once you do that, when you humble yourself before God and admit your foolishness, admit your sin, whatever it might be, that brings you to a place of grace where God can begin to help you. But until you humble yourself, you're saying, God, I don't want your help. See, that's what the, the problem with pride. When I humble myself, I'm opening the door so that God can begin to help in my life. Now, now listen to me for just a moment. Here's the reality of it. It reaches a point in every life where it doesn't really matter whether you are under demonic attack or you're suffering because we're living in a, a broken world or you're suffering be, because of someone else's sins or you're suffering because of your own stu stupidity. It reaches a point where all you know is that you're suffering and you need God's help. You say, I don't know the theological implications here. I'm not able to discern whether I'm under attack or whether I'm suffering because of my own foolish decisions. All I know is that I'm hurting here and I need some help from God. That's perfectly okay. Can I just, can I just say to you this morning on the authority of God's word, it is okay to cry out to God, I'm in pain here and I need some help. Even if you caused it. It's okay to cry out. Don't, do you know that even when, you're, when you're, your voice when your voice is laced with anger in that moment, don't you know God can handle that? How many of you have ever had your children speak to you when they were really little and they spoke, spoke to you and, and there was anger in their voice? That ever happened to anybody? Yeah, did it, did it offend you and make you disown, disown them? Create, you know, you're now an orphan? Is that what happened? No. Listen. God can handle your anger. God is so much bigger than you are that even if you get angry at him, you can't make God angry at you. He doesn't respond with being offended. He's like, oh, I can't believe you're angry at me. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, you wives, I know you wish your husband would be like that, right? Truth is that no matter how much we yell and scream and cry and kick the floor and have a temper tantrum, I'm in pain here, God, and you're not doing your job as God. No matter how, how much you do that, God will, God will sit still for it. 
He'll sit there while you have your temper tantrum. And when it's all over and you've completely diffused your, your, you know, all the anger you had, God will look at you and say, okay, are, are we done now? Are, are we done? If you're done, then we can get to work on this. Then, broken before God, you simply say, God, I need, I need help. It's that moment that grace can begin. Humility brings us to the point where, where we're ready to receive grace and the help of God. And when we finally reach that place, what do we need to know? First of all, here's what we need to know about the, the valley full of enemies. When am I most likely to endure satanic attack? Well, the first moment that you're likely to endure satanic attack is when you're on the brink of a great victory. Now, the, the devil doesn't know the future, but he can sense when God is doing something, when momentum is building, like it's been building here in this church for the last several weeks and God's doing something. We're on the brink of seeing God do something. And that's why I know we're at a prime uh, spot for, to see the attack of the enemy on us and our lives, not just as a church, but individually. Because when, when you're poised to move forward, when you're poised to assume that place of responsibility that God has laid aside for you, you are a prime target for the enemy's attack because he sees that and he wants to discourage you from moving forward. Satan wants to frustrate the highest and best plans of God. But the second moment you're likely to endure satanic attack is immediately after a great spiritual victory. Very interesting how the enemy, he's been doing this a long time. The enemy knows what he's doing. But right before he senses something great is going to happen, he'll attack. And then right after a great victory, he'll attack because there is something about the egotistical spirit of man that makes us particularly vulnerable to attack when we're really riding the crest of the, of a, of the wave of success. When we feel strong, that's when we need to realize we're actually extremely vulnerable. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. See, there's that moment in time after a great victory, we think to ourselves, man, look what I've done. Look, what a, look I'm doing great. There's, I don't have to worry about the enemy. And that's the moment when he'll swoop in. And before you realize it, you realize you'll find yourself under the attack. Another time when we're vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's that moment when things have gone particularly badly. Anybody ever have a really bad day? Some of you, some of you are like, today, if you just get on with it, Pastor Dave. Uh, let me just state this categorically. Satan is no gentleman. He does not see that you are down and hurting and wounded and bleeding and say, well, poor jerk. Let's just give him a rest today. Satan's motto is, while he's down, kill him. And if you can't kill him, at least scar him. That's what he, Satan will pile trouble upon trouble upon trouble. Have, how many of you have ever noticed that it seems to, to run in stacks like that? Trouble and worries and attacks all seem to just pile up at once all at the same time. I want you to know that is no accident. Satan knows exactly how to pile on the hassles and the confusion and the disorientation until you just feel as if you're completely swamped with all of these things. This is one of Satan's greatest tactics. I believe that Satan knows that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine and he would just as soon release 10,000 foxes into your vineyard as he would release one grizzly bear into your life. He knows that it's all the little things that wear us down. 
It's like the old saying, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. That's what it means, is that, is that things have been loaded on you, loaded on you, loaded on you so much to where the load is so heavy that somebody finally puts a little piece of straw on your back and then that was the one thing that made it too much. Isn't, isn't it true in our own lives? A lot of times it's not the big, huge things that breaks us down. If somebody, if somebody came to me today and placed place me in front of a firing squad and said, renounce the name of Jesus or we're going to kill you. I, I believe that I'd say, shoot, go on, shoot. I'm not afraid to die. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going where I'm going. I believe that, the, that God, I'm confident that God would give me the grace that I need in that moment, the strength to be able to stand in the moment. But do you know, do you know when my faith is really tested? You know when I, when I really uh, uh, face the challenge of losing my re religion? It's, it's when everything goes wrong from morning to dark. It's the little things. You've had days like that, haven't you? Your, your car won't start in the morning, so you, you go buy a battery. You bring it home, and then the old battery breaks in your hands and gets battery acid all over your pants. And you, you, go, you go inside to change your pants, and all of a sudden you realize that now you're, you've... You're forgotten an important meeting and you're going to be an hour and a half late. So you go to call them and, and let them know what's happening and, you, and that you're going to be late. And you realize that your phone isn't working. So you go next door to ask the neighbors if, they can, if you can use their phone. And suddenly realize that you still left your pants in the bedroom. And, and, uh, you know, and, and, your, and your wife finally comes home and you want sympathy. But then you, can't find, you, you find out that she's had a bad day too. And she walks in the back door and drops a dozen eggs on the floor and breaks all of them. And she's mad at you because obviously it's your fault that the eggs broke. And I'm just here to tell you, firing squads are nothing. It's at that moment when my Christianity is as fragile as an antique china. That is a satanic trick. I'm absolutely convinced that he knows how to keep piling it on and keep applying the pressure in, in crisis in strength, in weakness, and at the moment of defeat. Th those are times to watch out for the attack of, of Satan. Now, now, what if you really discern that you're under attack? That, that is to say, the tactics are from the enemy, and it's through no fault of your own. It is because of, of some wicked work of Satan that you're actually under satanic attack. What do you do when you are under the attack of the enemy? What do you do? Well, now, David, you see, he's at the moment where he is poised to assume the greatest authority and power and responsibility in his life. And when David realized that the valley in front of him was filled with the enemy, what's the very first thing he did? Now, listen to me. This is the most important thing in the entire message. But look at what David did in verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over, over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it. So he realized the attack was coming. And what did he do? And he went down to the stronghold. He went down to the stronghold. He went to a place where he could just get alone with God. He did what the, what the Quakers call, they, 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 they call it centering down, center down, to rediscover again what I really believe, what I really know, what, where, where do I really stand, my position in Christ, my inheritance that is incorruptible and never fades away. When, when everything that is shakable is shaken away and that which is unshakable remains, what is it? Where can I center down? What can I stand on with a 100% confidence? The first thing you have to do when you're under attack is get alone with God and hear from Him. 
That's the first thing. Verse 19 says, David inquired of the Lord. When you're under satanic attack, even before you begin to pray, stop and listen to God. Before you act, before you do anything, we sometimes, what we do is we seize the reins and we start telling God how to run the universe. We start by claiming this blessing by faith and we're ordering God to do this and we're commanding angels to do that. Stop. Just, just for a minute to get into the stronghold and see if just maybe God has something to say about it. David inquired of the Lord, what, what shall I do? What shall I do? I believe that cultivating this spiritual sensitivity to hear from God in the face of attack, the, the peace and patience to stay calm and not to panic, to wait on God and not move until you hear from Him. I believe that this spiritual sensitivity is one of the most difficult and challenging marks of spiritual maturity imaginable. It constantly challenges me to wait on God. Sometimes I get the idea that I, that what I, learned, that I learned something over here in this other situation, and I know it worked there, so I think it's going to work the next time. But if you'll notice, David didn't just inquire of the Lord once. He re- inquired of the Lord in verse 19, But he inquired of the Lord a second time. Do you realize in this passage that the Philistines came to attack David twice? They came twice. The second time they attacked, David's response was the same as it was the first time. It says in verse 22, Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord. He did it again. Now when I I read that, I I thought that if if it had been me, I can't help but wonder if I might have said, well, Philistines are back. I know exactly what we need to do. The last time they attacked, God said to attack them head on and go straight at them. Run your army right in the middle of their army. Don't hesitate. Attack them head on. That's what happened last time and we won the battle. So I know that that's what's going to happen this time and I'm going to do exactly what I did last time. I wonder if I wouldn't have been at least tempted to do that. But evidently, that wasn't true of David, because David inquired of the Lord a second time. He didn't just assume, this is how we did it last time, so let's do it again. David inquired of the Lord a second time. The first time, the command was to attack head on. But the second command was circle around behind them over there amongst those trees and wait there until you hear from me. When you hear from me, then you're going to attack them from behind. You know, one of the challenges in following God, as we move forward, every, every new battle we face, one of the challenges is to stay responsive to the Holy Spirit. To not just assume, well, this is what God did last time, so he must do, be about to do the same thing this time. This is what he told me to do last time, so I'm going to do the same thing this time. It's a real challenge for us to stay responsive to the moment every time, to the challenges in front of us every time. You know, Pastor told a story about a time when he, was picked, when he picked up this poor family who, who was hitchhiking. It was a man and, and two little children. They were just, just bedraggled and dirty. The pastor said they were probably the dirtiest people he had ever seen. They were, tell him I said hello. Uh, they, were, they were hitchhiking along the road in a, in a driving rainstorm and the, and the, and the pastor stopped and and picked them up, and before he let them out at the crossroads where they were going one way and he was going to be going another way, all three of them, the man and both children, they all prayed to receive the Lord. 
Now, the, the pastor's initial response or his initial impulse as they were getting out of the car was to immediately reach into his pocket and give them some money because they were so poor, so destitute. And, and as they started to get out of the car, he, he, he started to put his hand in his pocket. And, and, and as he did, he sensed a check from the Holy Spirit. He, he just sensed that, that feeling that when you, when you feel the Lord pull the reins back, saying, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Just don't give them anything. And they, they had prayed to receive, the Lord said, they prayed to receive Christ. And if you give them money now, it's going to just confuse the whole issue. So he felt that nudge from God and he put his money back into his pocket and didn't offer them anything. They got out and they left. Several weeks later, pastor received a phone call from that man. He had found a job. They had found a place to live. He and his children had gone to the church in the area where they, where they were living that the pastor had recommended, and, and, uh, and they had been baptized. They were very involved in the church. And this is what he said to the pastor. He said, you know, when I got out of your car, I thought you were going to give me some money, and when you didn't, I got angry. But as we walked away in the rain, the Lord spoke to me in my heart. I'd been a Christian for less than five minutes, and I heard from God. He said, my son... If you look to that man for support, then this faith that you found won't work. Look only to me. Well, about a month later, that same pastor was on an airplane, airplane flying from Los Angeles to Ohio. And on that flight, he began to talk with the man who, who was sitting next to him, who appeared to be a very successful businessman. He was dressed in a really nice suit and a tie. The man began to tell the pastor all of his problems and troubles, just, just an awful nightmare of problems that he was going through. And the pastor just looked at him. It's really not your typical um, uh, method of evangelism. But he looked at him and said, he said, you know what you need, friend? You need, you need God. Well, your, your life is a mess. You need God. And tears just sprang up in that man's eyes. And he says, that's right. That's right. I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to find God. The pastor led him to the Lord right there on the airplane. They prayed together, and he received Christ as his Savior. It was just a wonderful moment there on that plane. Instantly after praying, the, praying with this man, the pastor heard a voice inside of his head say, Give this man whatever money you have in your pocket. The pastor said, Wait, wait, wait a minute here, Lord. I, this guy's got a really nice suit on. He's, he's in an airplane. It's not exactly a Greyhound bus. The guy's got money or wouldn't be on this airplane. But the Lord just really seemed to nudge him and, and say, just reach into your pocket and give him whatever money you have and do it right now. And the pastor turned to the man and he, and he said, you know, friend, I, I don't want to insult you at all. But, but now that you prayed to receive the Lord, I just feel the impulse of the Holy Spirit to give you the money that I have in my pocket. And he reached into his pocket and pulled out $23. That's all he had. And he, and he gave it to the man. And he said, will you accept this money? And tears began streaming down that man's face. And he said, I, I didn't tell you this because I didn't want you to think I was complaining. He said, this, the suit I have on was given to me by, by a friend. My airplane ticket was paid for by a friend. But nobody thought to give me any money. He said, I haven't had anything to eat. I don't have taxi fare. I don't have any way to get to the, from the airport to my mom and dad's house. He said, I've been thinking about how, how I was going to arrive at the airport and I don't even have a quarter to make a phone call. He said, I just prayed that prayer with you. And then when you turned to look out the window, 
He said, I, I bowed my head and said, all right, God, I believed you and I thank you for what you've done. But, but now, God, I'm asking you to provi provide me with the needs to get from the airport to my, my parents' house after we land. And he looked at the pastor and he said, mister, now I know that God is real. Now, the point of those two stories is this. Those two circumstances and situations appear to me to be upside down. Operating in the natural realm, those two things look backwards to me. It seems to me that God would say, look, this family is poor. Give this fellow your money. The guy on the airplane, he has a nice suit on. Put your money back in your pocket. That's what you would think from the outside. But God saw them exactly opposite from the way the pastor saw them. And that's because here's what we got to know. God knows things we don't know. God operates on an agenda that we don't have. The key is that we have to remain sensitive enough in our prayers to where we can hear from God well enough to obey Him in every situation when He says to do something that we know it's His voice and we obey what He says. We have to be able to hear what God is saying in spite of how circumstances appear on the outside. Now, in prayer, suppose that you're struggling with a situation and or, or, or you realize that someone in your family, a child, a grandchild, or a loved one, your spouse, someone is absolutely under satanic attack. At that moment, stop. Don't try to do something. Don't try to fix it. That's our problem. We get our hands in there and try to manipulate the situation, and we just make it worse. In that moment, stop. Get into the stronghold with God. Grab onto the, to the horns of the altar and wait on the Lord. Ask God to show you how to pray. Ask God to show you where you ought to go. Ask God to show you what you ought to do. Listen to Him and do whatever He tells you to do, even if it doesn't seem logical to you at all. Just listen and obey. Ask God to give you direction every single time you face a new attack from the enemy. You know, one time He said to David, I don't care how many of them there are, David. You attack them head on. The second time David said, I know, I know, I know. You want me to attack them head on? God says, no, no, that's not what I'm saying this time. You go around them, get under the trees and wait until I show my presence to you. Wait on God. Don't assume anything. The failure to hear from God causes untold damage when we're under attack. When we're under attack, what we tend to say to ourselves and our natural man is the enemy is coming at me and if I don't act quickly, I'm going to be destroyed. That's what we feel like. We're like, man, I got to do something in a hurry. But that haste will be your undoing. They that wait upon the Lord will not be ashamed. You, you will be weak in your haste, but you will find strength and wisdom as you wait on God. Isaiah 41, 40, 31 says, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on God. Haste in the moment of attack is, is the most destructive thing that you can do. Stop. Stand still. Get into the stronghold and wait until you have a word from God. If you act quickly and run out ahead of God, I guarantee this, you're going to get hurt. When you're in a crisis, you don't have time not to wait on God. I'm going to say that again because it's a little confusing. 
when you're in a crisis, you don't have time not to wait on God. You don't have time not to wait. And the other thing is don't operate on yesterday's commands. Get a fresh word from, from the Lord for today. You know, I, I heard about a, a certain young third string high school quarterback he, he, really, he really didn't want to be on the team. He didn't really care anything about athletics. He just thought he looked good in a uniform and he liked to be on the team. He never wanted to go into the game. He, he hoped, in fact, he would never go into the game. He, he didn't learn the plays. He didn't pay attention during the practice most of the time. He, he just liked standing on the sidelines and telling his girlfriend that he was a quarterback. Well, the last game of the season in a, in a perfect season, the first and the second string quarterbacks were injured and forced out of the game. And the coach looked at this kid and said, you've got to go in the game. And he panicked. He said, coach, I don't know how to do this. I Send somebody else. And the coach said, no, you're the third string quarterback. Get in there. And he said, coach, I don't even know any of the plays. The coach said, son, it's simple. We've only got a few minutes to go and we've got a strong defense. I'm not asking you to score or even move the ball upfield. He said, hand the ball to the running back to the left. Then on the second play, hand the ball to the running back to the right. Then on third down, call a quarterback sneak. On fourth down, punt. Then the defense will hold the rest of the time while the clock runs out. Well, that boy took the field. And on the first play, he handed the ball to the running back to the left. And the running back found a huge hole and ran about 20 yards. And the next play, he handed the ball to the running back to the right. And he got an excellent block and he ran about 35 yards all the way down to the 30-yard line. Then on the third play, he called a quarterback sneak. Well, the, the opposing team was so confused when he called a quarterback sneak on first down that he ran all the way down to the one-yard line. And now it's first and goal to go with three minutes left in the game. And he punted. Completely out of the stadium. When he got back over to the sideline, the coach was fuming. He was furious. He said, what in the world were you thinking? What was in your mind when you punted that ball from the one-yard line? What were you thinking? And the boy said, well, I was thinking about what a stupid coach I had. <laughs> How many times do we do that with God? We try to run the play that is no longer relevant. We try to do the thing he told us to do the last time when God knows that circumstances are now different and, and because of that, it now requires a different solution. It's no longer the right way to pray. It's no longer the right way to act. But the enemy is so present and seems so powerful that we think that we can't call a timeout. We, we just have to stop and get down into the stronghold and wait on God and get fresh orders for this crisis and then obey what God says. The next step is this, verse 21. It's extremely important. That is to burn the gods of pride. Verse 21, the Philistines abandoned their idols there and David and his men carried them off. They, they didn't carry them off to worship them. They carried them off to throw them in the fire and melt them down. But in every crisis and in every conquest, when we move to new levels of spiritual, relational, economic, or political victory, when God lives us up, lifts us up, when God allows us to take another step forward or another step up, Listen to this. If you inherit the goal of the person who was there before, the temptation is going to be to inherit his gods. Every time you take a new step forward, every time you defeat the Philistines, make sure you purge yourself of the gods of the Philistines that were there before you. I, I don't know how to say this strongly enough. I, I've known many, many businessmen and businesswomen who get an advance, get a promotion, 
who are exalted by God and lifted up and given a financial blessing and, and, and that begin to have a, a new level of, of prosperity in their life, that, who then take upon themselves the same attitudes of greed and covetousness and materialism and pride of the people who were, who were removed from that place. Look at the people who went ahead of you and resist before God the impulse to fall to the same sins and the same gods to which they fell. Burn the gods before you move forward. This is so important. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Do you remember the story of Elisha with his servant Gehazi? When Naaman the leper came from Syria? Naaman was this Syrian general who got leprosy and, and make a long story short, he came to, uh, from Damascus and asked to be healed of leprosy and God healed him and Naaman offered to pay Elisha great sums of money. And Elisha said, I don't want your money. I don't want anything you've got. God has healed you. Now you just go home and give God the glory. And Naaman, now, now, now cleansed of his leprosy, left. But Elisha's servant, Gehazi, saw the whole thing. And he said to, to Elisha, oh, you know what? I just remembered something I forgot at my mother's house. Would you excuse me? And Elisha says, yes. And a Gehazi dashed out the door and ran around to the backyard and cut through the alley and jumped over the fence. And he intercepted Naaman's limousine just as he was about ready to leave the city limits. He said, wait a minute. My master has changed his mind. Naaman said, oh, great. I, I brought stuff. I want, him to, I want him to have it. I'm happy that he's changed his mind. So he punched that button on his key fob and popped the trunk open. And he said, what do you want? Gehazi looked at it and said, well, my master would like that, 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 and that. And he took them all and he loaded them all in a cardboard box and sneaked it into his back door and hid it under his bed. Then he went into where Elisha was and Elisha said, you hunted down Naaman. And you took the gifts and his gold, which I had declined. And Gehazi was like, what? No, no, I didn't. And Elijah the prophet just turned, pulled back that mattress and said, yes, you did. There's the box. And he said, you want his gold? You have it. But you'll also have his leprosy. And from that moment on, Gehazi became stricken with leprosy and he lived the rest of his life and died with leprosy. Listen, listen friends, there is a, this is a great challenge for us as we begin to mature and move forward in the things of God as a congregation, as individuals, as families. At every step along the ladder, make sure you burn the gods of those who were there before you. Uh, th there is a great temptation. Let me, let me put it this way. There's a great temptation in the modern church. When, when God begins to give us a, a little bit of blessing, a little bit of prosperity, a little bit of his anointing, there seems to be a temptation within ourselves to say, now we can look the world right in the eye. Now we can do this just like the world does. We can be just as worldly. We can go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, eyeball to eyeball with the world. But if we do, we will have the world's leprosy. Praying for your family. Now listen to this. Every time you pray for a member of your family and you see the answer, you see the blessing of God, and you move up to that level of success right there, that you cleanse yourself. Burn away any pride. Burn, any, in a way, burn away any sense of accomplishment. Say to God, oh, oh God, I praise you. Oh God, I, I, I thank you. You're the God who answers prayer. You're the God of grace. You have done this. 
Unless God builds a house, they that, they that build it labor in vain. God, I have done nothing. God, I take no glory. Oh God, I just thank you and praise you that you're the one who has done everything because we have this thing in us. We pray for something or we pray for a person for a long time. And when God finally answers that prayer, we like to go to people and the first thing we say is, well, I've been praying for this for a long time. No, no, no. It's, this is not about what you did. You can't take pride in the fact that you were faithful. You were just doing what you're supposed to do. You give God the glory. You know, every now and then I'll have someone come to me after service and they'll say, oh, pastor, that message, you just really spoke to me this morning. That sermon, it just really spoke to me. Well, you know, I've heard this sort of thing many times over 37 years of ministry. I know it's hard to believe. You know, I look so young, I couldn't possibly have been in the ministry for 37 years. But, but you know, the thing is, when I first started out in ministry and I would hear that, I would respond with this kind of, obsequious false humility I mean like oh no what that old thing that's oh that was a horrible sermon that was that was just a stinker no 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 God God didn't speak to you through my sermon then one day I realized what an idiotic thing that was you pray for weeks and labor before God and you say, oh God, speak to the people. Oh God, speak to the people. And somebody comes up to you and says that God spoke to them and then you walk away and say, no, he didn't. Do that. He didn't. do that." On the other hand, if you go to the other extreme, if you yielded the temptation before you when that guy says, man, God really spoke to me through that sermon. If you, if you yield to the other temptation, you're, you'll be like, yes, he uses me like that. I have a great anointing. Shame, shame. Listen, if you're under an anointing, you don't have to announce it. Any, any preacher you're on, you see on TV talking about how, what a great anointing they have, you don't have to announce that. That's a real, really big red flag, just to give that out there. But what's the balance? I've come to this conclusion in my life and ministry. When I hear from that from someone today, someone says, uh, you know, God spoke to me through this word today. You know, I'm so glad to hear that, uh, that, that God can speak through me in my weakness. I rejoice in that. It is a great honor to feel that God is speaking through you to people. It is an honor. But I also, in that mind, I, 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 and I always say, well, praise the Lord. That's one of my typical response. But, but I remember in the midst of the honor of being used by God to speak to me, I, I remember to my, uh, and remind myself intentionally that in the Old Testament, God once spoke through a donkey. And suddenly I, don't real, I realize I'm not that all, all that special. It's not about the instrument. I have to burn that pride before, before it kills me. Burn the statues of the enemy as you move forward. And then finally, wait for the God moment. Wait for the God moment. David is told by God to circle around behind the enemy, get under those, underneath those poplar trees and wait. God said in verse 24, as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. Now, what, uh, that, that, what can that verse possibly be about? When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, then intact. Well, I believe that God was allowing King David to hear, to, 
to, or, or to experience a witness of the marshaled forces of the supernatural power of God. I believe that what he was hearing in the, in the tops of the poplar trees was the trampling feet of a, of a legion of angels going ahead of them into the battle. You can hear them as they trod, the echo of the angelic host and the forces of the supernatural power of God being summoned forth into battle ahead of him. And he said, when you hear that, then attack. Now listen, my friend, in praying, in seeking the blessing of God in the face of the attack of the enemy, there comes that divine moment when we know God is doing something supernatural and powerful. I don't know how to teach this. I only know that I've experienced it, and I know that many, many, many of you have experienced it as well. It's, it's that divine click. It's that moment where you, you have that witness from God that says, this is it. That's why missionaries go into dangerous places to tell them about Jesus. Like many of you have heard of Jim Elliott. He and some other missionaries, they were killed by the, by the Alcas as, uh, when they, in, in Ecuador when they tried to tell them about the love of Jesus. God, God said to them, you, you've waited. You, you've been listening now, to my voice. Now go. And I know there, there, were, there were some of who looked at them and said, the, the Alcas? Jim, don't, don't you know that they've, they've already killed a lot of outsiders? They're very violent people. This is crazy. You can't go there. They're dangerous. I think you're nuts. But Jim Elliott just said, you don't understand. I've heard the sound of marching in the tops of poplar trees. I feel the click. I heard the announcement. This is the moment. Don't wait. Don't waste time. Arise. Draw your sword and attack. I don't know how to teach how to hear that, but I'm telling you that this is the difference between real, genuine faith and the mechanized, dogmatized thing that we call faith in the modern Pentecostal movement today. Today, when people find themselves under attack from the enemy, they start claiming stuff and floundering around and making a sorry spectacle of themselves. But, but the great thing is to wait on God. Hear a word from the Lord. Tarry until the angelic forces of God are summoned forth on your behalf. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the top of the poplar trees, then draw your sword. I tell you, in that moment, when you hear the sound of the marching of the, in the treetops, when you know that God is at work and when the Spirit of God is moving on your behalf, when you know that there is a supernatural divine inter intervention taking place, then nothing, absolutely nothing can defeat you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that is not just some, simply some sort of biblical catchphrase. That is a great reality. When you hear God say, I'm on your side, I've undertaken, this is yours, arise and go. I'm telling you that in that moment there is a boldness, there is a faith, there is a courage that floods your soul. And now, now, now there may be some timidity and some fearfulness mixed in with it, but through it and above it, there is this solid sense that angels are moving, that God is moving, and I'm in the middle of doing what, he's, what He wants me to do. I hear marching in the tops of those poplar trees, and my troops are all standing still. Then go, like, like, the, like the old Nike ad says, just do it. When you know that God is speaking, when you know the Spirit is moving, 
When you sense that moment, this is what I've been feeling in my spirit about what God is doing in this church, what He's doing in many of your lives right now, is that He's saying, I can, there's marching in the tops of the, of the poplar trees. There's a rustling above us. There's a moving in the heavens. There's a, there's a power that's being released. God is up to do up to something, and it's up to us to hear that, and now hear what He says, and do what, and do what He said to do. When you hear from God, when you sense that God is on the march, then act in obedience to God. Let me close with this. There is a series of revival services being held in a small town in Georgia. One night during the service, an elderly lady came up to the altar. She's just weeping, crying. And she said to the evangelist, she said, I've been praying for my son to be saved and delivered for, from alcohol for, for 42 years. And the evangelist said, you, you want me to pray for him now? And she said, she was kind of got a little bit offended. She said, I didn't come down here to get you to do my praying, son. She said, I'm asking for you to pray for me that I'll be able to pray for one more year. The evangelist was just amazed at her faith. There are people scattered all over the earth trying to find some preacher to do their praying for them. But this one little old lady said, I don't need you to do my praying for me, son. I I do my own praying. I just need somebody to agree with me that that I can find the courage and the faith and the strength to pray for one more year. Well, the pastor and the evangelist knelt down beside that little lady and they prayed with her and they believed God to strengthen her by his might in her inner man to be able to pray for her alcoholic son for one more year. Well, when the service was over that night, the pastor and the evangelist went over to the parsonage and they sat down. They were having some iced tea. And and by the way, it was sweet tea because it was Georgia. And and the phone rang. The pastor went out of the room. He answered the phone. He came back a few minutes later and said, guess who that was? He said, that was the lady that, that we prayed with at the altar. When she got home, Her son's car was parked in her inner driveway in her house. When she got out, he got out and fell on his knees in the middle of the driveway and said, Mom, I give in. Will you pray with me? She prayed with him for deliverance and he received the Lord sitting at her dining room table. And he was in worship service the next night. The next night. Now that is the sound of marching in the tops of poplar trees. When you hear it, arise and move forward for the Lord himself has undertaken on your behalf. In fact, even this morning, as we prayed for Pansy's cousin, she came to me before the message and said that God has already begun to answer that prayer in a powerful way. I'm not going to tell you what the need was or what the answer was, but that is the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees. Amen. Would you bow your head and let's pray together. Father, we come to you. I don't know who's feeling the attack of the enemy. I don't know who's dealing with suffering because of their own foolishness, but I do know that there are people who are suffering. I do know people that are hurting in this place. And God, right now, we don't want to pretend that we have the answers. We don't want to assume that we should do what you told us to do last time. But God, we just want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. We will not move. We will not act until we know what you want us to do. God, I pray for those that are 
that are in the midst of the battle, they're in the midst of the fight. I pray, God, that even now, Lord, that they would just get into their, get alone with you. They'd get into that stronghold, that they would begin to seek your face and they'd say, God, I need to hear from you. What should I do? Should I attack? Should I wait? Should I, should I talk to them? Should I go to them? Should I pull back? Should I go forward? What do I need to do? And God, I know that if we do that, it's not as if you're in heaven saying, oh, I have this great plan, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You want to tell us. You want to speak to us. You want to put your glory on display. And God, I pray that today, Lord, that there'd be those in this room that would say, today I, I've heard from God. I know what I need to do. And then God, once we hear from you, I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to act on it, to do what you've said. And Lord, that we would wait for that God moment. That we won't run ahead. We won't try to make things happen. We won't get ahead of your spirit, but Lord, we'll wait on you because it's in waiting on you, Lord God, where we find strength. It's where we find our courage. It's where we're, our faith is built. And Lord, I just pray that today, anyone that is suffering, anyone that is hurting, anyone that's under the attack of the enemy, I pray, God, that in Jesus' name, that you would speak words of encouragement to them. There are people today, God, that feel as if they're ready to give up. They don't know what to do next. They think they've tried everything. But God, just teach them to wait. Teach them to rest in your presence. I pray, God, that you would encourage them, that you would remind them that you have not forgotten them. You say to them as you did to, to Israel, I have not forgotten you. I've carved you on the very palm of my hand. I know where you are because I'm holding you. And I pray, God, that that would be enough just to rest, that you would speak peace. And in, in the midst of the battle, God, I pray that we, we would constantly be sensitive to hear what you're saying in every moment. And God, you would give us the faith and the courage to act on it. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. Maybe there's somebody here you'd say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. I truly feel that I've been under satanic attack. The enemy has been attacking my family. The enemy has been attacking my, me at work. The enemy has been attacking wherever. My marriage, with my kids. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor Dave, pray for me today. It's not that my prayers are going to make any difference. My prayers are no better than yours. But there is power in agreeing together. And if that's you today and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to agree with me in this situation, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Is there anybody? Yeah, all over the place. They're all over the place. I'm here to tell you right now, you are not alone. In fact, if you raised your hand, you're, you're in with the majority. That's how many people raise their hands. And there's comfort in knowing that, that there's nothing, that, it's not that you're broken. There's nothing wrong with you that you're suffering. That's part of humanity. There's also strength in knowing that God is going to see us through. As, as we have sensed the, we've heard the marching in the tops of the poplar trees and we sense the momentum growing and we sense God moving in us as, and as in, a, in a church, it's no surprise to me that you're coming under attack. It's no surprise to me that I'm coming under attack. But you know what? 
we won't be discouraged by it. We won't, we won't sit on the sideline and mope and complain because we know who the victor is. And we will wait. We will wait until we hear from him. I'm going to agree with you. And you pray, whatever the need is, you take it up to him. And right now you say, Lord, I'm waiting to hear from you. I'm, and I won't move until I hear from you. And you pray, pray about it right now. Father, I agree right now with every person that is praying. And I'm asking God that you would speak to them. Lord, that you would help them to wait. There's this urgency in us that we want to take matters in our own hands. We want to do something. But God, I pray you would help us to realize that praying is doing something. That waiting is doing something. And then God, when you speak, I pray that there would be such a, an assurance, such a confidence, such a boldness that will take over. You would fill them with these things, God, so that they, then when that moment comes, when you speak, we will step forward and we'll do whatever you said. And as a result of, of obedience, I know, God, you're going to bring victory. You're going to bring victory. And when it's done, God, we're not going to stand there and say, look at what I've done through my prayers. I believed long enough and so it happened. God, no, we're not going to take any credit. All the glory is going to go to you. And we'll say, look what God has done. Look what God has done. And we'll give you the praise for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.